is our Old Testament text. This will be our sermon text this morning. Eager to get back into the Gospel of Matthew, picking up with chapter 26. That will be next week, Lord willing. I wanted to take a brief pause at the start of this year and look at Psalm 103 together. So this will be our sermon text. Hear the word of God, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to such as keep His covenant, and to those who remember His commandments to do them. The Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you His angels, who excel in strength, who do His word, heeding the voice of His Word. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, you ministers of His who do His pleasure. Bless the Lord, all His works, and all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Ephesians 1, 3-14. It's our New Testament text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times 
he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord God, we thank You that You have given us Your holy word, that You have not left us to be lost in the darkness of our sin, unbelief, and confusion. But You have given us the gospel of Jesus Christ and You have brought light by Your Spirit. We pray that You would shine that light into the dark recesses of our heart. And where there is sin, bring repentance, forgiveness, and holiness. And where there is discouragement, bring the steady hope of the gospel of grace. We pray this in our Savior's name and all for your glory. Amen. Well, loved ones, um, as the new year begins, I want to remind you from God's Word of two things. First of all, be reminded from God's Word what 2024 is for and what you are for. We can get thinking that the years come and they go and it's just kind of automatic, isn't it? Like, the world's this clock that got wound up and the years just keep on ticking by. And it's, of course it's, it's going to be a 2024, but do you understand it's the gift of God to you? To have another year laid out ahead of you? It's not just the laws of nature that make things keep on turning. It's the providence, the sustaining grace of God. He has given you a year. And He's given it to you for a purpose. And He's given you this time for the purpose of glorifying and enjoying Him. This is what Psalm 103 calls us to. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's a, it's a call to worship. It's a call to glorify God and to worship God and to see we were made to worship God. Psalm 103 doesn't do this by barking orders like a drill sergeant, though. Praise the Lord or else I'll get you. No, praise the Lord. Because look at what he's done. It, 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 it stacks fuel on the fire of our worship. That's the first thing it does. The second thing it does, it gives us a foundation for our faith. It, it fuels our worship, our chief end, glorifying and enjoying God. And at the same time, it lays this firm foundation for our faith, something to strengthen us and sustain us through the year ahead. It's a wonderful and precious Word, Psalm, Psalm 103, begins with some self-talk. Uh, David is talking to himself in the opening verses of Psalm 103. He's preaching a sermon to himself. Um, he says in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His 
benefits. He, he, he takes his own soul in hand. He looks himself in the eye, as it were, and says, bow down on your knees before God, soul. Get on your knees before him, O oh my heart, and worship him, and, and don't forget, don't forget who he is. You should talk to yourself, brothers and sisters. That's the first lesson from the psalm, isn't it? You should preach to yourself. You should take your soul in hand and say, Soul, remember what God's Word says. Remember who, who God is. We see this not just in Psalm 103. We see it in Psalm 104 also, the next psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's how it begins. We see it in other psalms. Psalm 42 and 43 both have the same chorus, which is this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Why do we need to preach to ourselves? Because we're forgetful, aren't we? We have spiritual amnesia. Uh, we easily forget what God has done for us. We easily forget His promises. We get overwhelmed by circumstances, and our eyes look down from Him and at the waves of present circumstance, and we start to sink. Um, it's, it's not just an innocent forgetfulness. It's actually a sinful forgetfulness, brothers and sisters, that we struggle with. It's not just like, I forgot where I put my keys, and I forgot that God is good. They're, they're the same kind of thing. Forgetting that God is good is unbelief. John Calvin, as he comments on this verse, he says, how is it that we are so listless and drowsy in the performance of this, the chief exercise of true religion, if it is not because our shameful and wicked forgetfulness buries in our hearts the innumerable benefits of God? See what he's saying? The chief exercise of our religion, as he puts it, Chief end, glorify God, worship God, praise Him, enjoy Him. But we, we bury that in our hearts. We bury His blessings in our hearts. We cover them up with things. We cover them up with distractions. We cover them up with selfishness and our own desires. We don't want to worship God all the time. We'd rather sing a song to ourselves. Maybe you know Walt Whitman's great, well-known poem that starts, I celebrate myself and sing myself. Couldn't be farther from Psalm 103. But that's what our hearts want to do. We want to forget, bless the Lord. We want to think, praise me. There's another thing, though, we can bury, our, bury God's benefits under in our hearts, and that is bitterness, right? Uh, difficult providences come, hard times come, and we feel that God is, is far away. Where is His love? Where is... He promised me He promised me green and pleasant pastures, and I don't see them at all. I see a sandy desert that I'm walking through. And so we get bitter towards God, and we say, well, He's not really loving, gracious, faithful, and kind. It's like dumping water on a fire. The worship just fizzles out. So what do we do with our drowsy and sinfully forgetful hearts? David says, Preach to your heart. Preach to it. Preach and call it to worship. Notice what David does as he goes on. First of all, as he calls himself to worship, he calls all that he is to worship. He says, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Not just 
part of me. Um, no part is exempt at all. He says, all that is within me, wholehearted worship to God. And then secondly, he calls himself to worship all that God is. All that is in me, worship all that is in God. Don't forget any of his benefits. Remember all that he has done. This is what the call is, brothers and sisters. The call to worship all that is in me. Praising all that is in God. That is what we need to preach to our own hearts. And then from there, that's how the psalm begins. And then it says, now let, 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 let's think about why. Let's remember some of those benefits. Let's remember some of those mercies. The first thing, the first thing the psalm then calls us to remember is the Lord's covenant love to you. That's you, singular. The Lord's covenant love to you. Verses 3 and 5. Um, the words here are very personal. They're very intimate words. Uh, David is not talking to all of Israel. He's talking just to his own heart here. And, and, and the first thing he considers is, is not the big picture of who God is for all his people, but, but first of all, who is God for, for, for me? He has this deep sense that the Lord is his Lord. Um, it, it's, it's wonderfully personal here. Um, we see this in several of, in so many of David's Psalms. We see it in Psalm 23, don't we? The Lord is my shepherd. The, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in, in green pastures. He is the one who sustains, who loves, who shepherds, who guides me. His sense, David's sense of himself is completely wrapped up in God and who God is for him. Um, th- this is, this is, this is the, the covenant of grace. Come home into his own heart so that he knows, who am I? I am, I am the Lord's. That's his fundamental sense of, of, who, of who he is. So similar to what, what Paul says when, when he says, uh, I know a man in Christ. Talking about himself. That's how he thinks about himself. I'm in Christ. I'm the Lord's. David, of course, has this unique position. He's the king of Israel. He's, he's the Lord's anointed. Um, and he has this special relationship with God. But that does not mean that the relationship he has with God is, is off limits to us. That this deeply personal knowledge of God is a relationship that we also can have. And we see that because our Lord Jesus Christ takes David's psalms on his lips and speaks about them very personally as well. And so David's personal relationship with God pictures for us our Lord Jesus' personal relationship with God. And if we have faith in Christ, then that relationship with God becomes our personal relationship with God as well. David reflects on this and in verses 3 through 5. First of all, he reminds us here that the Lord has forgiven all his iniquity. What is iniquity? Iniquity is, is sin. Iniquity refers to disordered desires, things that have been, things that have been twisted and, and perverted. Uh, the word brings into view all David's own sin. He's looking at his own heart and he's saying, all my disordered desires and, and disordered loves, the Lord forgives. Loved ones, consider your iniquity. 
Consider all your affections that are not the way they should be. Your, your, your coldness towards God. Your jealousy towards others. Your lack of love towards others. Your lust. Your greed. Your covetousness. Consider all, the, all these affections in your heart, your pride and your anger and bitterness, all these things that are out of whack and twisted and not the way they should be. What does God do with those things? David says, He forgives all my perversions, all my disordered loves. He forgives all of them past, present, future. That's what the Lord does, brothers and sisters, in every disordered emotion you've ever had. If you're trusting in Christ, He forgives all, all iniquities. Second thing here, verse 3. David reminds his soul that the Lord heals all his diseases. It's not a promise that God will heal every sickness you ever get. But it is a promise, loved ones, that God's love encompasses all that you are, body and soul. The Lord does not merely care for your soul. And He did not merely die and rise for your soul. He also loves, died, and rose for your body. And the promise of the psalm is that even as He forgives you and makes you whole and clean and right and restored, on the inside, spiritually, one day he also will do that physically. We see this wonderfully pictured as our Lord Jesus speaks to the paralytic who comes to him in Mark chapter 2. You know the story. Jesus is there. The room is crowded. There's this paralytic. He can't get to Jesus. His friends lower him down through the roof right into the middle of this, of this, of this crowded house where Jesus is teaching. And the man is laying on his mat on the floor in front of Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. To show that, first of all, most importantly, what do you need? Forgiveness. But Jesus doesn't stop with the forgiveness. The forgiveness and the healing go together. They go hand in hand. He gives forgiveness. He gives, he gives healing. And so, so it is also for us, brothers and sisters. He forgives us. He restores us. And that will include our bodies. It often includes our bodies now in many ways. All the sicknesses you've had, you've recovered from because of His grace. Verse 4 carries this a step further, points us to resurrection as well, fulfills this picture for us. Verse 4, David says that He redeems us from, He redeems your life from destruction crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. The Hebrew for that word destruction literally means the pit. He redeems your life from the pit, from the, from the grave. Um, he brings you up from, from certain death. Now David, of course, as he reflects on his life and God's faithfulness to him, he can think about all those times when he was pursued by Saul, when he was uh, on the run for his life, and the Lord delivered him. But he's looking beyond that. He's looking beyond that to, to when God will raise him, up, uh, raise him up with resurrection life. Verse 5 then completes the picture here uh, of being crowned with God's covenant love and mercy 
and being sustained forever. Uh, we get this picture of God will make you like an eagle that soars on effortlessly through the skies. Your youth will be renewed um, like the eagles. You probably feel like you're getting older. Um, another year comes, another year goes, you're older, right? Um, but the steadfast love of the Lord is stronger. And God's Word says you're not really getting older. You're actually getting younger. Your youth is being renewed like the eagles. Second Corinthians 4.16 says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. All this is for David's soul. Just, just for him. And he has a sense, this is mine. This sweet forgiveness, this restoration with God, this, this, this God's love encompassing my whole life, this hope of resurrection, not getting older, getting younger by His grace spiritually. Um, all, all, all this is his confidence. That, that this is very personally a gift from the covenant Lord to him. And loved ones, um, it is ours too, if we are in Christ. Throughout the psalm, we see the language of that this is for those who fear the Lord. This is for those who are, who are trusting in and humble before the Lord. This is the first thing the psalm considers then. Remember the Lord's covenant love to you. But then there's another thing, and the psalm shifts in the next verses, 6 through 14. This is our second point. Remember the Lord's covenant love to his people from the past. So suddenly now we're zooming out. Uh, we're not only looking at David and his personal experience of God's love to him, but we're zooming out and we see David is surrounded by all God's people. This vast multitude of all those whom God has shown this covenant love to. We begin uh, in, verse, in verse 6 and 7 with a look back to the past. Um, God rescuing his people by his covenant love. Verses 6 and 7 picture for us Egypt. And the, and, and, and the days when the Israelites are slaves under the Egyptians in Egypt. But then verse 6 tells us that the Lord works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. And verse 7 tells us that God saved them by His mighty acts. And those are, that's painting pictures of God coming with the plagues, crushing Egypt, rescuing His people, bringing them through the Red Sea, and then causing the waters to come down on top of Pharaoh and his armies. And David is saying now, as, as he turns his attention to all God's people, saying, join me in this song. As you remember what God did in Egypt. Yes, many years ago, but remember, remember where we come from. That God, all of his grace, all of his power, we didn't do anything to deserve it. We didn't do anything to accomplish it. It was all of him. He saved us. Loved ones, we need to learn the lesson here as well, that we need to look back. As we preach the gospel to our hearts, as we remind ourselves why we should be worshiping the Lord, we need to look back, not only at what has God done for me, but what has God done for us. And we look back at the great acts of God's salvation. We look especially at our Lord Jesus Christ as He raises the dead, as He calms the storm, as He heals the sick, as He dies for our sins, as He rises from the dead. We look at that and we say, that's who He is. 
And that's what he's done. He rescues. He rescues his people. The second thing here, that as we look back at God's covenant love for his people in the past, we see that God, out of his love, has forgiven all of us. We already saw David's personal experience of the Lord forgives all my iniquities, but now we see this expounded as, as we look at God's forgiveness for all his people's sins. We're still, we're still in the context of Sinai. David's still looking back at, at Egypt and the Exodus and then Mount Sinai. Remember there how God brings the people out of Egypt. He brings them into the wilderness and to the foot of Mount Sinai and makes a covenant with them. He, he, he establishes his law with them. Um, but, but as Moses is meeting with him on the mountain, the people of Israel down below make an idol, start worshiping false gods at the foot of the mountain. Um, it's, it, it would be like um, um, a, a bride committing adultery on the wedding night. That's the, that's the sense of what's happening. God is establishing his relationship with them at Mount Sinai, and they're down at the foot of the mountain worshiping false gods, giving themselves away to idols. And it seems like the whole thing's over before it started. Moses comes down the mountain, he sees what they've done, he throws the tablets on the ground, and they shatter. The covenant is broken, even before it started. And God, God, God sends a plague on his people, they're coming off the heels of seeing ten plagues brought on their enemies, the Egyptians, and now a plague is coming on them, and they're terrified. And then God calls Moses back up the mountain. And Moses prays. He prays on behalf of the people. And God forgives the people. And, and at the heart of the drama here, it feels like this covenant is broken before it's begun, but God is beginning to restore it. He's forgiving his people. At the heart of the whole drama, God tells Moses, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to make my goodness pass before you on the mountain. And as God's glory passes before Moses there on Mount Sinai, he says this. He says to him in Exodus 34, 6, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. It's a defining moment for Israel. This is where they see in high definition the character of God and the character of this covenant, that it doesn't depend on them and how faithful they are, but it only depends on His unchangeable love and grace for them, that it's rooted in Him, Yahweh, the I Am, who cannot change, that He is gentle, tender. He doesn't fly off the hook. He doesn't, he doesn't get angry easily. He, 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 he's, he is long-suffering suffering and patient and faithful and kind and gracious, and He may discipline for a moment but he's full of steadfast love. That's what God shows Moses on the mountain. And that's exactly what David quotes here in the middle of Psalm 103. The Lord is gracious. He's full of this steadfast love. And David says, look at that. Look at who he is. Look at that moment when he showed us beyond all doubt that it's all of his grace, all of his love. He forgave us then. He'll forgive us now. He doesn't change. His love for us doesn't change he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. 
Brothers and sisters, um, the Lord does not treat you according to your sin. It's a profound thing to remember. The Lord does not treat you according to what you deserve. He doesn't put your life in the scales, see what your performance is, see how you measure up, and say, all right, that's the providence I'll dole out for you today. He treats you according to His love. Not you, but Him. His love for us is, is, the, is the beating heart of this psalm. And it's the beating heart of our covenant relationship with Him. Verses 11-14, through 14, David has looked at who God has been, and he's looking, that's who God is, that's who He is now for us. And uh, he launches into this series of three glorious comparisons to give us a sense of God's love for us and how, how, how much God loves us. The first one is, is this metaphor of as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for us. There's a little kid's book, uh, Guess How Much I Love You. Maybe you've read it to your kids. It's a little sentimental, but uh, it's all right. Uh, but, but, it, but in the book, there's this daddy nut brown hair, and there's the little nut brown hair. And they go back and forth through the book, guess how much I love you. I, much, I love you as, as big as that tree is tall, or whatever. I love you as far as that mountain range. But then they get to the end of the book, I, I love you. I love you all the way to the moon. And then as, that's what the little guy says. And then as he's going to sleep, his, his daddy says, you know, I love you to the moon and back. Um, that's a sense, a, a little picture, right, of, of what's being said here. God says to us, my love is as high as the heavens. Light years and light. How, how, how far? Where's the edge of the universe? His love is farther, bigger. The psalmist is saying, He's reaching for the biggest comparison he can. He said it's bigger than everything. It's bigger than the cosmos. Samuel Rutherford, old Scottish Puritan, put it in this memorable way. He said, God's love has neither brim nor bottom. Neither brim nor bottom. It's limitless. It's infinite. It goes on and on and on. As if that weren't enough for picture for us, we also get verse 12, a second picture here. Um, what's the measuring stick for forgiveness? The measuring stick for God's love is high as the heavens are above the earth. Measuring stick for forgiveness? East and west. As far as the sunrise from the sunset. East and west never meet. They're in. They go on, right, in infinite opposite directions. And the Lord says to us, that's how far I take your sin away from you. When he, when he forgives you, when He lifts your burden of sin and guilt off your back, He doesn't stick it in the closet and wait to bring it out again. But he, as far as the east is from the west, it's infinitely far from you and it can never be brought back. And this is still not enough. He gives us a third picture of His love and grace and forgiveness. And He gives us this comparison. How, how much compassion and tenderness does God have for us? This time, instead of reaching for a massive metaphor, David reaches for an intimate one. And he says, it's like a father's compassion. Like a father's pity and compassion. I remember when one of our boys had been born... Um, 
a very early visit to the emergency room. And I remember walking into the emergency room, holding him in my arms, swaddled up against the cold. And I remember just, I would do anything to protect him, to take care of him, to, 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 to the tenderness I felt for him. I had I'd never known such tenderness before. That's nothing compared to the tenderness, the pity, the softness of God for his covenant people, for you. That, 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 that love, it's an infinite love. You are swaddled in his mercy and his love and his compassion and his tenderness. And so David says, look back. Look at how he loved us, who he said he is, how he forgave us. That's who he still is. And so we say, look back. Look back at the cross. See his love. See his tenderness. See his pity, his compassion. See him taking our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west. That's fuel for worship. That's a foundation for faith. But there's one more thing. We don't just look back. We also look ahead. And that's where the psalm turns as it moves to its conclusion in verses 15 through 19. The next lesson the psalm teaches us is remember the Lord's covenant love to his people in the future. In the future. Verses 15 and 16 come next in the psalm. They hit us with what feels like a very negative note. It says, As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes, for the wind passes over it and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. That's a very common theme in the Bible. If, you're, uh, if you've been in the shepherding groups and we're reading Ecclesiastes, we're hearing that a lot. Life's a vapor, right? It's that candle smoke. You blow at the candle, the smoke goes up, and it's gone. That, that, that's it. It doesn't last long. One day, it's like a field of dandelions, right? One day, it's brilliant shock of yellow. The next day, blown away in the wind. And, and that's, that's life. Um, and so this poses a question to us and to the covenant of grace that we're in. It poses a challenge to God's covenant love. We've seen His love is great. High as the heavens, east to west, Father's compassion for His children. But what about death, David? What about when my life ends? Because it's going to be over in the blink of an eye. What, what about then? What happens to God's steadfast love then? And what happens in the next generation of God's people? What's going to happen to the children, to our, to our grandchildren? What, what it will be like for them? Will God's covenant go on? Or will they be faithless? These are the concerns, right, that, that, that can dog us. Will, will, will my children be faithful? Will God love them as he's loved me? What, what about our church? Two generations from now, will our church be here? Is God's covenant love stronger than the cruel, slow hands of time? How does the psalm answer? Verse 17. The mercy, that's the word chesed in Hebrew, the steadfast love of the Lord, is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. When did God's love for you begin? It never began. 
When will it end? It will, it will never end. When did his covenant kindness towards you in Christ start? Never. It'll go on and, and on forever. Psalm 90, which we read at the beginning of our service in the call to worship, says, God is from everlasting to everlasting. His love is also from everlasting to everlasting. There's a wonderful verse in Jeremiah 31.3. It says, God speaking to his people. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Your heart is a boss, writes on this. He says, the best proof that he will never cease to love us lies in that he never began. What we are for him and what he is for us belongs to the realm of eternal value. So David is saying his love reaches to the heavens it's, and, it, and it goes on and on forever. It goes on past death past time. Don't, don't be anxious. He'll care for you. He'll shepherd you right through death with His steadfast love. He won't let go of your soul or your body. In death, He loves you. He won't let go of your children, your children's children, your church, the next generation. On and on and on. His steadfast love goes. And this is, this is what Psalm 103 is telling us then, brothers and sisters. It begins with this wonderfully intimate picture. Ah, oh, the Lord loves my soul. And then, it, and then it broadens out. The Lord has loved us in the past. We've seen it. And then it looks ahead, and God will love us for the future, forever and ever and ever. It wraps us up in the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable love of God. And then the psalm ends. It ends with a call to worship. It started with a call to worship. It ends now with one. Verses 20 through 22. Bless the Lord. You, His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. He's saying, O universe, look at this God and praise Him. And then He ends, O my soul, praise Him. So loved ones, preach that to yourself. Put that fuel on your heart to burn with worship and, and lay that foundation for your faith to keep you steady. And remember what this year is for. Remember your chief end and praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, our God, we rejoice in your covenant love purchased in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would keep our hearts from sinful forgetfulness of these things and stir us up to love you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response to God's word and preparation for the Lord's